Hey everyone, I'm Ian Skrera. And I'm Emily Hickmott. And welcome back to The Beat. This week's question is... How do you point defend? Similar to last week, we reached out to five different experts on our topic from different parts of the country. This week's guests are Simone Arends, Brian Mulcahy, Taylor Crawford, Nick Marino, and Athena Mayer. With our guests, we hope to introduce voices you might not have heard from that represent a diverse group of experiences. We will continue to doing our best to find a diverse range of voices, but if you have any recommendations or ideas for people for us to talk to, please let us know in our Google form linked in the description of this podcast. And with that, let's jump right into the interviews. Our guest today is Simone Ahrens, who got his start at Texas Quidditch, winning World Cup 6 his first year as a player. He then played for Lone Star Quidditch Club until U.S. Quidditch Club 10, making multiple finals and semifinals appearances. He then played for Texas Cavalry for U.S. Quidditch Cup 11, where he won a national championship. He has been on the 2016 and 2018 U.S. national team, winning gold with the team in 2018. He has also played for the Austin Outlaws, winning two MLQ championships during his time there. Um, He also coached Texas Quidditch, coaching them to their first national championship um, since U.S. Quidditch Cup 8 at U.S. Quidditch Cup 12. Um, He has consistently been one of the best defenders in the sport. Um, Unfortunately, he has no actual pets at this time, but he does have a robo-vacuum who he talks to (laughs) like a pet. Um, So welcome, Simone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hello I, I appreciate you dropping yuffie my uh my pet <laughs> plus the thing i have to a pet but uh yeah thanks for the intro that's that's really nice and also and also thanks for having me <laughs> yeah of course um so i guess just jumping right in um one thing i feel like you're or at least when i heard about you for the first time that um i feel like you're known pretty well for is your ability at point defending um so what have you kind of focused on in, in training that and, and developing that as part of your game over uh, your years in Quidditch? Oh, yeah. Uh, man, jumping right in. I You know, it's playing defense at that position is such a fluid thing, uh, especially since starting at, at UT and then playing with, with Lone Star and, and then Cavalry and then all the, all the other teams. Uh, I feel like it's always been a season to season thing, almost sometimes game to game thing where if I know that I need to be playing defense a certain way going into a tournament or even into a match, then we'll make adjustments. Uh, So it's, it's, and I'm making those adjustments um, before the game and sometimes on the fly. And I'm ensuring that, that uh that that it happens with my teammates that are alongside me on the on the pitch so i think i don't really have a concrete answer like more so like i would say like in in order to make adjustments like that on the fly i've always touted you know um fundamentals being key and being able to make adjustments and not necessarily always being successful in them but at least putting yourself in the position to succeed and, and knowing where you need to be or how you need to play or what you need to do on a play-by-play basis. So, uh, yeah, I would say just generally speaking, I think 
the fundamentals of of defense and and marking your man on ball, off ball, that kind of thing, and then adjusting to the to your opponent is the best way I've been able to develop over time because you just gain that experience and reuse it as necessary. Yeah, um, I guess. Okay, so jumping then to more specific, you talked about the sort of fundamentals and then kind of building from there. So. Uh, especially since you've been a coach um, for a team and a, a really high achieving team, um, what are basic things that you would focus on for someone who's who's new to de- like playing Quidditch and becoming a defender? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because I, it reminds me of, and when I first started coaching, I had the the pleasure of, of coaching with uh, Shelby Manford, uh, with uh, coaching Austin Quidditch. Uh, which is the second team at Texas Quidditch. We have two club, te- two club teams there, or two college teams there. And uh, that was awesome because I, I learned a lot about what it takes to get new players to pick up on the game quickly. And I, if I had to choose one of, one of the many things that they have to learn quickly in order to be successful, or um, it, it would probably be, communicating on the pitch um, and understanding what your teammate is telling you so that you can make adjustments. Uh, So essentially kind of coming together and having a a language that all of you can quickly, concisely communicate to each other what's what's happening and what you need to happen um, on the pitch uh, will really take you far um, as a team. And as a new player, too, because you're really just you're learning with each new experience, you're reinforcing it as you're saying it out loud and what you need to be doing. And then you can go on the sideline and say, like, oh, I probably should have told you this or, hey, can you tell me that I should be doing this next time? So, yeah, I would say I would say comms, man, like like what we like to call them comms. (laughs) How good are you uh, talking with a mouthpiece? (laughs) Uh, I, I think it's key. It's absolutely key. Talking with a mouthpiece is something you can work on even when you can't play Quidditch. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, just put your mouth guard in and practice talking really well. Um, <laughs> that is, that's the answer right there, Emily. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I shit you not, man. I, I've had players complain about that too. And, you know, what we tell them are just like, you know what? Uh, everybody has a mouthpiece in so I can hear them. There's no reason why I can't hear you. So figure it out. (laughs) And so when you're setting up as a point defender and you see someone like bringing the ball up, what are you kind of looking for and adjusting to as you see like an offense developing? Immediately what comes to mind is if that player has the ball um, and I'm, and I'm in that position as a point defender, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, where, where are his or her options? Where are their options? To, to put the ball away because on average, you know, I, that, that player isn't going to be driving, driving on me immediately. So I'm thinking, okay, where are the options? Okay. Now is my defense, is my team prepared to defend those options? Uh, so I guess just kind of being aware of um, the formation of the, of the offense that we're defending against and also looking around quickly to determine whether our, our wing defenders are in a place to defend those options. Uh, so that, that's where my brain goes first. Um, and then 
and then it kind of just depends on the player in regards to like what I'm actually doing as a defender. Like if I'm shifting to one side or the other, depending on whether they're right or left-handed, uh, if they, if they like to push the ball, if they like to throw overhand, little, little things like that will kind of also, uh, make me adjust on how close I am to that defender. Are they fast? Are they slow? Am I able to give them a little bit more room? Are they good shooters? Things like that will dictate how how I'm adjusting to that player. Uh, or the beater, obviously. So if the beaters are in the same space as me, then I'm adjusting. Um, so uh, really just reading what the offense is giving you, taking what the offense is giving you, and not necessarily forcing the issue and Hopefully, letting the defense, letting the offense play into our hands, and preparing for them to make a mistake, just to, and just preparing, you know, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, so to speak. Yeah, and when you're setting up those defenses and communicating with like, your beaters and your chasers or your keepers, how is it different if you're running a man or like more of a zone, like a two-two versus a full man deep? Um. So I think that's going to depend on how teams prefer to play their man defense and how they prefer to play their zone defense. I've, I've seen some of those defenses played in different ways. Uh, and I believe it just, <laughs> and this might become a theme with my answers and I'm sorry if it's not specific enough, but it, it really just depends. Um, so generally speaking, if you know, with the zone, you know, you're probably putting your, your players um, in a position to attack passing lanes um, and not, and you shouldn't be right up on a man. It just depends on how, where, how they're positioned relative to the hoops and uh, where the quaffle is. So, and then also the beaters. So if like, if your beaters are adjusted to one way, like your defensive beaters are adjusted one way, then you could be adjusting your defense slightly in another. Um, and then when it comes to a man, um, if you know it's a no budger situation and you're marking up with somebody, then you need to be prepared to make a tackle. So you need to be in a space that you're able to know your limits as a you're, as a player that's sliding in one direction and prepare to make a hit and make a tackle, cause a turnover, whatever you need to do. Um, and then your wing defender or whoever your teammate is um, is also prepared to adjust in the event that that offender has committed to an offensive drive without looking to pass. So it, it, the spacing in a man defense is just, you know, how many butters do they have? Do I, do we need to relax if they have um, one beater coming up? Are they attacking with both beaters? Do we need to sink the defense a little bit more? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of scenarios where you can adjust the defense to match the offensive uh, formation. For sure. I found, yeah, based on like what you're saying, that makes me think back to, um, I played a little bit of lacrosse growing up and we always used to communicate in defense, like where our slide is coming from. And what we mean by that is should the person on offense get by us on defense, then where the, the help essentially is coming from. Um, and so it sounds kind of like that in, in a sort of uh, man-on-man defense and then also kind of applies to zone two depending on how your zone is set up and, and what the situation is. So, yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. Exactly, yeah. And picking up on those things, there are two ways you can learn them as a team or as a coach is is 
you know, watching film, watching other teams play different zones and not necessarily looking at what they do as, as a, as a unit, but on a play by play basis, how are they adjusting to this specific look? How are they defending? How is this man different from this man? Like this man defense against uh, one bludger, see how it compares to this defense when they have two bludgers up and they're bringing one bludger on one side, you know, those small differences um, and how a defense adjusts to them is how you can learn how your team can adjust to them. And then also playing that, those different situations and throwing new ones that in practice and forcing your team to adjust on the fly is going to give a lot of experience to players so that they know what to do in the game, you know, you, you, you practice it and then you, you talk about it and then hopefully your team remembers <laughs> and you go into a game confident that your players are going to adjust accordingly. That makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of switching gears here, but do you have any players who you've particularly enjoyed playing point against? Just against? you remember it being a good, yeah. Just being like, oh man, this is fun. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've always cherished my times and in, in practice and in, in games against against Augie where I've had the chance to play against them. And I'm lucky that, if, you know, we've had practices where we've had those chances to do that. And it's always fun. Um, you know, he's he's the greatest for a reason. So I, it, I love, you know, as a competitor, not as a coach, as a competitive player, two completely different people. Uh, standpoint uh it's the, by far the most fun i, I like competing the best so it's, it's cool uh getting the chance to defend him i mean there's so many good challenges out there man like oh you know who stands out Caleb. um i know we didn't get a lot of chances but mm. being able to stay in front was cool mailing he's just a he's just a monster and that's just the challenge of staying in front of somebody like that i've had the chance to do that for two for three games uh, that was, <laughs> I mean, the opportunities were few, few and far between, but I mean, I surely remembered them. I mean, I think you've named the two best like ball handlers <laughs> and like offensive people who have played the sport. So I feel like it's a good, good barometer. I remember... Man, I tell you, you know, you know what, what makes them so good in my eyes is, I, man, they're just, their ability to make you think, you know, that they're, that they're giving the ball off and then their first step for that in that instance where you you're thinking I don't know whether they're giving the ball away or not their first step towards the hoops or the direction that they're going to is always so fast it always makes me feel so slow because in in reality as a point defender you're, you're at a disadvantage no matter what um, most most offenders are going to have a first step that's you're not going to be able to keep up with but those two are just you know they were the they're the best. They, they're just able to go north-south so quickly with their first step. I've always found that to be so challenging to, to defend. That first step is so key in creating space from a defender, and so, yeah, the ability yeah. to, to get, get there so quickly and accelerate that fast. So I guess sort of similar question, but um, transitioning from opponents then to just, like, mentors, um, were there people or specific people uh, that you kind of looked up to in, in building – I guess I'll specify and say your defensive game as you, as you've grown or grew as a player and grow continue to grow. Yeah, um, Marino for sure. My my man Nick Marino is is 
is the best defender to ever play this game. So I, I've always loved just watching him play because he, I mean, he just takes the, everybody to school and, and who he defends. He's such a knack for the game. Um, he has a knack for moving his feet correctly in the space where defender is trying to go. He, he's able to essentially dance with them like just, just a half step faster than anybody I've ever seen. In a way, he probably, I don't know if he knows this, but he's always been somebody I looked up to just as, a, as an athlete, as a, as a competitor. He's the best. I feel like you touched on this a little before, but almost just to reiterate. You, you were talking earlier about your approach to learning from film, and I was wondering if you could kind of summarize that again, because I feel like that's something that can, is super useful for all of us in ways to, to be able to not just watch games for the sake of watching it, but watching it to be able to constantly learn and adapt to your own abilities and skills and the teams that you play on. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, there, there are ways that you can watch film that works for other people. I mean, I, I feel like we've developed a way at, at Texas um, that works um, and it keeps everybody's attention because it's tough when you're watching film, just watching game film without stopping it and just letting it play through. <laughs> I'm sure you guys can relate. It's, it, it can be tough to stay awake uh, <laughs> without, without that feedback. So, yeah. uh, we, we, I don't know. It just depends. I think we would do something like ahead of time. Obviously you're watching the film, you're, you're developing those notes, those points that you want to make to the team, to players. And um, you write those timestamps down. And then what, what would be, ideal is that you you set aside a certain amount of time for for each of those concepts and however how many timestamps are underneath that concept you talk about them you replay those plays again and again and again until you're able to pinpoint each position and what they're doing and make sure everybody's understanding it so uh, I, I feel like the best way to do it is just you know you you have a concept in mind hopefully you have the experience uh, you think about a game that reminds you of that concept you go look at the film cut it up if you're savvy enough you know have it prepared ahead of time in a, in a format where you just press play and it just takes you to those timestamps. you save everybody a lot of time it's efficient you can get out and go play quidditch so I, yeah i think obviously being prepared for that is important um getting feedback after you explain what's going through your head as a, as a leadership is important and then reinforcing it by providing different examples with that film is then also also pretty important. Um, maybe not everybody has that resource, but what everybody can do is, you know, watch games at tournaments. That helps too. So for sure. If anyone ever needs film, I do have a fun time finding film. So just let me know. Just message See, me on yeah. Facebook. There you go. Yep. It's Find my favorite Emily. thing to do. Is fine old just, Quidditch film. I think you just directed everybody that needs film to go to you. So <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> what else am I gonna do? Oh, I you know I could do this. So you know who's a film savant? Uh, Who? In my opinion, uh, Tate K. Mm. That dude is a freak. Um, I if you want to pawn off some of film requests that you're about to get forever uh maybe you can you can um pawn him off on tate i'm sure he'd be more than happy to <laughs> sift through film and find something for you 
So next on our show, we have Brian Mulcahy, who started playing Quidditch in 2014 for the North Shore Nor'easters until 2015, then played for QC Boston from 2015 to 2018, winning a national championship with the team at uh, World Cup 9 or U.S. Quidditch Cup 9, and then since has played for the Bosnia Bear Sharks since 2018 um, and has been also been on the Boston MLQ team since 2016, winning two MLQ championships with the team, once in 2016 and once in 2019. Brian also has a petite golden doodle named Nola uh, for a pet. So welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we are so excited to talk to you. Um, I know I have seen you get like progressively so like you've just gotten so good at point defending over the like the six plus years that I've watched you play and so how have you kind of like grown your point defending skills the way I've grown is probably the most important thing is practice practice and more practice that's the best thing I can give you as long as you keep doing the same thing like anything in life the more times you do something the better you are at it what are the drills that you work on then to help um, build that repetition? I think the best drill that I've used recently to do it, it's two and two, like two chases on two chases with a keeper and no beaters. And then you're working both offense and defense. And then you're like communicating with your partner. And then you can learn like what each tendencies both of you have on defense. It's just a one-on-one drill that it improves both you and your teammates positioning and I think that's a really great drill because like as much as point defending is like the first thing you do you're always point defending with someone on either your left or right to kind of have that communication so that 2v2 drill is so helpful for like especially getting around picks which I think is something you're really really great at is like reading picks real well and not getting caught on those so you can definitely see that when you're playing. So when you are setting up as a point defender, what are things that you are looking for um, to set up the defense? The first and foremost is I'm seeing exactly where the beaters are on both teams. Depending on where both beaters are, I'm redirecting all my teammates on which player to pick and like go guard. And then also if there's a teammate out, then I have to like rearrange on what they are. So then they get the person that's like close to the hoops. So everyone gets rotated depending on if someone's out and depend on where both teams beaters are gotcha so i'm assuming that 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 rotation you're kind of talking about applies to both like either if someone gets by you and also if you get beat out as the point defender yeah as a team you always have to be talking on defense and you always have to be communicating with your teammates especially when most point defenders get beat out like all the time to like change the matchups or whatever you you have to always be talking and saying like when you're beat out you you have to tell your teammates or else the other team's ball carry is just going to get a free lane and then going to get an easy score and what have you found is the most effective way to communicate those switches do you have like a preset rotation or are you just calling it out live it's usually a preset rotation just based on like who's the closest because you don't want someone that's all the way behind hoops that's normally the second point defender you don't want them to go all the way up to the front and like switch and then they're going to be too late so it's, it's mostly just the closest person for me i feel is the easiest 
no matter who it is on your team, just because you you don't want anyone again to get a free drive to the hoops. The main thing I do is probably talking with your beaters. I've been lucky enough to play with some of the the best beaters in the game, whether that's Max, Lulu, Mario Leanne, Kyle John, Jesse Knowlton, Serena Montero, Kieran Collier, or CJ Jr. All of them are like really talkative on defense, and they tell me like exactly what to do. Like even sometimes, like during the uh, MLQ championships games, if you see on the film, like I would randomly run up and get tap beat because Leanne wanted me to get beat because they wanted the Austin beaters to do something different against them. And then so they have to beat me out and either I'm going to tackle the ball carrier and then we win the possession or they tap me out that the ball might go flying somewhere and then we get to make a move on defense. Yeah, as someone on the other on the Austin team, it was remarkable how well you and Leanne worked together, being like, okay, all right. Like, Leanne would just be constantly talking, and then she would just be like, Brian, go, and you would just absolutely get that step off and just, like, create that pressure that caused a lot of turnovers and changes in possession. It was very frustrating. Yeah, because it was, like, a huge mind game just because both teams are such a high level that you want to change something up and you want to make the offense do something on defense. You want to be the initiator and so then you can win. And so that's how we were the initiator. We we wanted to get the ball movement on the ground and then so we could win. Yeah. And sorry to put you on the spot just a little, but one thing I noticed that I feel like you do well, and I don't know if it's just because you've been playing, when I've seen you play, it's with the Boston LQ team and, or most often, and so I see you playing with uh, Jake and Teddy and Grace. And I notice that your rotations usually are, you're really good at keeping out of the way at anyone by hoops, whether that's um, Jake, who's usually the keeper, or um, Abita, that's right by the hoops too. Is, is there a way that you kind of go about your rotation to, to stay out of the way of, of the keeper when you're tagging back in? The main thing is just... It's the communication between me and Jake, the keeper. He's saying, like, where the ball is coming from, and so I, I don't want to get in his way because then, then he gets mad at me because <laughs> I, I get in his way, and, and then he doesn't stop a goal. Yeah. And so, like, I'm going. I know where I got beat out, so I know that's where the ball carrier is. So if I'm on the left side, I try to go to the opposite hoops, just not get Jake's way or my keepers. Gotcha. I think that's super important, like, if you know where you are coming from, you know where that's generally, that's going to be where the ball is. And so tagging in on a hoop, especially with the new rules where you, like, you have to go to the middle hoop, but if you're going, like, directly in your keeper's line of sights, factor hoops, you're basically just helping the offense. But if you're making sure you're taking a route, that isn't going to block your keeper's view of the ball handler and where it's coming from, that's, like, definitely gonna impact the game more often than not so i think that's really cool that you focus on doing that yeah i feel like it also when you take that even if it's just like a split second longer to tag in by looping around a little bit on the other side it also puts you in better position to block any passes that might be going to i'm going to call it the weak side hoop so whatever side is the opposite of where the ball is uh, or the quaffle is rather and, and I feel like that has set you up to to pick off a lot of passes and get a lot of interceptions in those situations. Yeah, and then especially with, like, the bigger hoops now in, in USQ, there's going to be more weak side passes now, so you, you want to always be on the lookout as soon as you tag off. That probably should be your first option. 
to look for that weak side pass because you know it's probably going to come because because once you get beat out as a point defender, that's when the offense usually starts moving. So you know probably eventually it's going to get there pretty soon. Yeah. Kind of pivoting, do you have any players you've enjoyed playing point defense against? Not like any certain people. It's probably just mostly the teams. Like I always like playing everyone from Austin, from the Heat, Cav, or the Austin MLQ team. Just because everyone on the team is so good and so at the top of their games, so it's always good to go up against the best because that's the only way that you're going to get better. And then also, it's always really fun playing against the Northeast teams just because I'm from the Northeast, and so you're going to see the same teams over and over. So it's kind of cool to see what new moves the other teams Ball Carrier has in store for you for each different matchup you go up against them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then... Do you have any mentors uh, that you've played with at helping you or like looking at to help you kind of grow in your own game? So I would say the biggest mentors was probably the QCB Cup 9 run just because I was a new guy that year was my first time playing officially and because the North Shore North Easter was unofficial so I didn't really get much practice there because it was like lighthearted and stuff like that. So on that team it's like really stacked with point defenders above me. On that team, we had Harry Greenhouse, Sheldon Bostick, Don Bailey, and David Fox, and all of them have a different style of point defending that I try to take from every single one of them. Like David Fox told me, if you're covering someone off ball, if you just keep pushing them a little bit, they get aggravated, and then you're in their head, and then it's all about a mental game, especially off ball, then you get thrown off. Dom and Harry are really good at like being physical with a guy, and so they taught me that you have to be physical at the point of the attack and you have to initiate for you to win the battle on point defense. And then Sheldon, when we're doing the warm-ups, I just sidestepping. He always made us put up the claws like, like you're a crab going over. You're getting used to getting side to side, especially because he has a football background. In football, it's all going back and forth. And so it's really good to be agile and nimble on your feet. How do you feel like your football background has helped you as like a point defender? I feel like my football background has helped, especially because I played mostly defense. I got used to playing against the quarterback and playing mind games with the quarterback as a corner, cornerback covering the wide receiver. So you have to play mind games against the quarterback and the wide receiver to, to win, either if you're going to like jam them up close or if you're going to back off and like, play different types of styles on defense. So I'm from Boston, and there's this guy that recently passed. His name was Tommy Heinsohn on the Celtics broadcast. He always did something called a Tommy point, and that's like the unsung hero of the game. Like, it could be a random person off the bench, but it was always who made the biggest winning impact in the minutes, and that's kind of what I live by playing defense. Because on offense, like, you, you might not be the best goal scorer, but defense is like half the game. If you can impact half the game, even if you're not doing much on offense, that's good for me. So I feel like every single game I'm trying to get a Tommy point, either if I'm getting a strip, if I'm diving on a loose ball on defense, if I'm blocking a shot, blocking a pass. I always try to get little Tommy points the entire time while I'm playing. Our next guest is Taylor Crawford. He started playing in the spring of 2012 for Hofstra University. Um, he played one year for the NYDC Capitalists, 
Um, and then when that team dissolved, he joined the Warriors and has been on that team since 2014. He has played every year for the New York Titans and was going to be the coach this year if COVID had not happened. He also has two absolutely fantastic animals, Rudy the Corgi, who ran the MLQ 5K and did great, and then Chuck the Cat, who is adorable and wonderful. And you can follow them at Rudy and Chuck, or at Chuck and Rudy, one of the two. But (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And I'll, I'll correct you real quick. I was still the coach for the summer. And uh, our MLQ virtual team for League of Legends were the uh, champions this year. You are correct. And my apologies true, there. True. Uh, I watched that game. I had very little <laughs> clue what was going on. But it was fun. <laughs> oh. So I guess just to dive into some Quidditch questions. So Taylor, what are some things that you found to be effective at uh, improving point defense, which is, I think both Emily and I would say, is definitely a strong suit of your Quidditch game. No, absolutely. And no, thank you. I take pride in being point defense. Um, a lot of the, the skill that comes with it, you know, probably what people mostly think about is like tackling, speed. Um, I think uh, a piece that people really got to work on to really improve, and I think what I've really worked on is really learning the tells of the players that you're up against. Um, a lot of that really just comes down to building up that repertoire, understanding the different styles of players, and kind of creating like categories. What kind of player are they? Are they a speedster that you know wants to try to run around you? Are they going to try to bowl you over? Are they more of a ball distributor versus a driver? So understanding that and really tailoring your game to really match the the challenge that's coming at you is very important. And you you can use that knowledge, especially if you played the player before or if you watch film of them to prepare mm-hmm. ahead of time. So if you know someone's going to more often than not cut to the left versus the right, position yourself that you know, hey, I'm going to turn a little bit and be ready to go that way. If it's a new player that you've never seen before, it could be something as simple as looking at their feet, their hips, and what hand they're holding the ball with. If they're left-handed or right-handed, you kind of know which way they're going. So really the mental aspect of it is a huge part of it because you can just kind of quote-unquote cheat a little bit, not like cheating against the rules, but cheating as in your positioning to know what's going to happen next. You're not always going to be right, but if you're able to you know, put the odds in your favor, you're going to be more successful than not. And even if early in the game you don't understand how the other team's offense is, learned, is, is going to work, you might lose the first few drives. But if you can adjust to the way that they're playing, then you could find as late as the game goes on, you could turn it around and really you know, stop the challenges that you had early on. The greater aspect as well is knowing what's going on behind you and really communicating back and forth with your teammates. Uh, When the drive first starts, you know, when the offense is coming up against us, I'm quick to point out, you know, is it two two, uh, offensive players to the left or two to the right? You rarely see it, but three to one side versus the other. Communicating that back to your team and remembering that because if it, the the heavier side is more likely to have maybe someone open or maybe it's going to be the opposite side. So you're going to understand where the offense is going to be flowing. So that's really important to always think in the back of your mind and keep kind of talking back and forth with your teammates. If you know the player is about to throw the ball, you can call it early, you know, shout ball, shout, you know, they're coming, you know, whatever you got to shout. And hopefully they're going to be relaying back to you uh, you know, what's happening behind. You know, sometimes you might hear me in, on the pitch being like, hey, 
do we have control still or are we down a bludger? Are there no bludgers behind me because that means I better start wrapping up and making a tackle versus just uh, mirroring the person. Um, you talk about the hips and the feet. What are you looking for specifically when you're looking at players like hips and feet when you're point defending? Yeah, so I mean, the key thing is what direction are they are they turning towards, especially the hips. So if the hips are definitely cheating more to the left or right, it's going to take an individual longer to turn the opposite direction and move that other direction. Obviously, we have a lot of very talented players in Quidditch where they can make that transition really fast. But having a good sense if they're going to go left or right first, rarely they're going to try to go through you because there's bludgers behind me. If they're going left or right, you can at least buy yourself a fraction of a second to maybe a second or longer depending on their athletic ability. So that's what, you know, it's very straightforward. You know, the hip bones, think of them like an arrow. Which direction are they going? And you can really use that as an indicator of what direction they're going to go. Are there any specific drills that you would recommend to build up these skills? I guess the best practice is just uh, gameplay and minutes itself. So if you're practicing, really focusing on looking at your teammates, seeing how they're playing. There are a lot of good drills you can run as well, you know, focused on situations. So um, set up the practice where your defense is down a bludger, so you're constantly going against bludger control, or the opposite. You have bludger control, and the offense only has one. Are you playing a zone versus a man-to-man defense? You know, put, keep building up that practice so you're used to every different style, and then have different people ball carry as well. So obviously through rotations on the offensive side, you're getting different skill sets that you're practicing with. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will probably say, oh, you got to be good at tackling, so we're going to run Oklahoma's. I personally hate Oklahoma's. I think it's it's good to teach people, I guess, to not to be fearless and make tackles, but you're more likely to hurt yourself than actually learn anything. And in the sport of Quidditch, you're rarely gonna have that one-on-one and only you know three feet of distance between you that you're gonna make a contact like that. I think there's too much risk for the reward. If you're gonna talk about improving tackling, what I like to do and I've done on teams is kind of coach tackling form and actually slow down the process to, at first, 25% speed. Hey, this is where you want to wrap, you know, and go down slowly. Then you speed it up a little more, work your way up to a full tackle, never quite all the way full speed, but really work your way into learning about how to do it. Another thing that's key in any kind of practice, whether it's a drill or scrimmage, is don't be afraid to lose. What I mean by that is a lot of people, you know, treat Quidditch practice like it's the championship game and they're going to play too hard. If you're just trying to improve yourself, and this doesn't matter what position you're playing, but for myself is don't be afraid to try something new, whether it's a different place you want to try to grab someone, different way you want to wrap someone. And then a key thing um, is play opposite-handed if you're point defending, or any defense, I guess. So I'm left-handed. I spend a lot of practices just playing right-handed to really strengthen my right arm, strengthen being able to switch back and forth because that's going to be very important because you're going to play players that can go left and right, not necessarily just the same direction. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I know this is going to age me because I am old, but like Drew Wazikowski was so good at Quidditch as long as he was going right. (laughs) 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 A little bit like Zoolander. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. You'll you'll definitely you'll see there's some players that are 
very tight is they will only go one direction. And if you know that about that player or you pick it up after a few drives, you could really, you know, even if you're not capable of tackling them, because being a big point defender, you don't necessarily have to take someone to the ground. If you just get in their way and stop their progress and they're forced to make the ball, you know, to put the ball somewhere else, just having that insight is is humongous to uh, having success. Yeah. I had a soccer coach, and he was he always said, like, if you force them to go back as a defender, you did your job. Like, mm-hmm. if they weren't able to advance in the way they wanted to, that's enough of a good defense, even if you didn't necessarily make the tackle. If you did enough to just, like, stop that, you did a good job. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll say from my experience, the people I least want to play against, if they're the defender, are long, lanky people that know how to get their arm and strip the ball. I think that's harder than the bigger people. Because even if you try to cut to the outside of them, for whatever reason, their three-foot arm wingspan like stretches out and still gets you, while the bigger people don't have that. You can kind of get away from it. It's uh, Those long, lanky people have just as much ability to... Uh, be a f- effective point defender if they can just again stop that progress, push you to the outside. Because if you're on the outside, you're not making a shot. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to be successful. It's not necessarily just being big and bulky. Yeah. So I guess backtracking a little, you've touched a little bit on this already, but you kind of talked about setting up as a point defender and what to look for when you're matching up against um, that offensive person on the other team. But what kinds of things are you looking for to communicate to the rest of your teammates um, to help your team get set up as that first line of defense, as the point defender, to help your team be ready for that offensive drive? Yeah, so of course indicating, is it going to be heavy left, heavy right? What direction is the, the the ball carrier moving with the ball? Um, anytime the ball's moving out of the person you're covering's hands, calling that out, tell, you know, trying to tell the defender who is covering, like, hey, it's coming your way, or the ball's in the air, maybe they're taking a shot. If you have a, a, a feeling that this player's about to blow past you or beat you, you know, make sure you call out to your keeper and beat her, like, hey, I'm getting beat. Uh, this guy's getting around me. If let's say they're doing the beaters on the other side are doing one and a half, make sure you communicate that you know early. Communication between yourself and the beaters is probably the highest value to you um, because you know if you're not making the tackle, they're going to help you out. And as I said earlier, you don't necessarily always have to make the tackle uh, to be successful. A lot of the time, um, I know when I'm trying to wrap someone up, and I know I'm not going to take them down. Uh, at the very least, I try to pull them in a way that they spin backwards, and then the beater has a clear target to hit. I think the best communication I had was actually with uh, my beater partner, it's not really my beater partner, was uh, Ben Strauss, where we had a call, a duck. (laughs) I would literally just duck if he called it out. And, you know, we had that, you know, communication in other ways, you know, if I was, if we knew what was happening behind myself, to be able to make a play like that. Yeah, definitely. I I think, Looking at it from the other side, playing against teams that are able to, the defenders are able to kind of get out of the way for a split second and open up that beat attempt is is really frustrating and tough to play against. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely a very important skill to be able to build up um, so that you know when to kind of go and engage as, as a point defender and also when to be able to open up space for your beater to clear out the rest of the play. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of our turnovers are sometimes just by I actually step back and let them do the work and be ready to either 
jump onto someone else because that person's going to try to get rid of the ball. So it'll be like, all right, maybe I help one of my other defenders take it, or there's going to be someone without a defender on them and it's enough. So being able to step back is just as important and kind of play it as a zone in the middle. Yeah, and I think the switch from, like, engaging versus, like, that stepping back is a thing that, like, a lot of the really great point defenders do well. So do you have any people you particularly enjoyed playing point defense against? Against? <laughs> as in, they're, as in they're, they're a challenge or, like, what were... It's just like okay. you remember being like, man, that was a good time. <laughs> I had fun. Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of people I have fun, I guess, going against. Um, I know just from practice standpoint, there are a few players that I think challenge me the most and help me get the most and improve. Uh, I'll definitely tell you, Mohagog has really helped me get better at speedsters. Uh, for several years, David Fox was on our team uh, for the Titans, and I think he helped me get really strong at you know stronger drivers and you know you know larger players. So that was always a, a big help. Um, as far as in game, I, I really liked um, the opportunity last summer to play against Augie for three games. That was a true <laughs> one of the biggest challenges was you know because I knew he was going to try to run the offense every single time. So. He was a lot of fun, and obviously I had some experience with him as a teammate, mm-hmm. which you know it was a couple of years before that. But it, I think uh, that helped me kind of understand the way he plays. Do you have any mentors who you've really enjoyed playing with, or like people who you feel like who you haven't already mentioned have really shaped how you've developed as a player? I mean, I've had Michael Prada as my coach for eight years now, and he's helped obviously, you know look at the little things that I don't do right and really help, you know, mold my game into better help the team and improve myself, whether it be, you know, things to do outside of the, the Quidditch classroom. So, you know, the extra gym, you know, extra activity outside of it, helping kind of be like, hey, you need to work on footwork or uh, speed, you know, really coached me up on that and helped me position myself better on the field. I remember... This is going, again, going back to NYDC, one of the tendencies that I had was trying to dodge the beater coming at me on defense rather than focusing on the, the, the quaffle carrier. And there were several times where I spent too much time dodging and then I left the whole middle of the field open. So that little bit of adjustment, he told me, hey, if you get beat, you get beat. Our beaters can, you know, come back and change the, the outcome after that, but don't run away like you're afraid of a beater like you would maybe on offense and just you know those little things he's was he's been really good for that and then the one season with Augie at Titans was he was he was very good at helping teach you know the way that we look in position you know your body to be ready to make tackles taught a new way that I was unfamiliar with and, you know I guess it's the Texas way of uh, teaching tackling so that helped add a new new form and way for me Next on the show, we have Nick Marino, who played started playing Quidditch for the University of Texas um, and played there from 2014 to 2018, winning a national championship in, with his first year with the team. Uh, Nick also played on the Austin Outlaws from 2015 uh, to 2018, winning two MLQ championships there in 2017 and 18. Uh, he was also on the 2018 U.S. national team, 
uh, helping the team win back gold in Florence, uh, back when we could actually go and play Quidditch tournaments. <laughs> um, in addition to Quidditch, uh, Nick also has a cat named Ash. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, we, I mean, I think you are honestly one of the best point defenders who have ever played the game. So how have you kind of, like, I don't know, that's just my personal opinion. But what are some things that you have found to be effective in improving your point defense skills? Well, for starters, I feel like just history of playing sports growing up, uh, like basketball and football, like I've been playing defense pretty much my whole life. So just translating playing defense on basketball and playing linebacker in football just translated really well into Quidditch. I know people get caught up on defense. They'll get caught up watching the offensive player's eyes when really it's their center of gravity that you want to watch. So their hips, what, what direction their hips are pointing and which way they're going. For me, it's just focusing on fast footwork and keeping a low center of gravity. So if you can stay lower than, than your defender and shuffle to stay in front of them, then they're never going to get past you. What I tell a lot of people is just keeping keeping your butt in between them and the hoop because uh, all your defensive power is going to come through your legs. Yeah. Do you have any drills that you found have been effective for you to improve that footwork and that like center of gravity? Well, the main things to focus on would be footwork, explosiveness, and then lateral speed. So for footwork, you're going to do stuff like ladder drills. I'll set up a four-corner box drill with cones. Mm-hmm. And from there, just running like sprint forward, shuffle sideways, back pedal back. And you can mix up endless variations of that, change of direction. You can sprint forward, back pedal, and shuffle. Just all about getting those cuts and change of direction and really sinking low when you're changing direction and keeping your feet under you. Explosiveness, just generally doing sprints. There's more football drills that I used to do, like 5-10-5 drills. So you'll start in the middle and have cones offset five yards in either direction. Sprint five, change direction. Sprint back 10, change direction, and then finish where you started. And for the lateral speed, a fun one I like to do is set up two cones about five yards apart, uh, and that will create like a line in between there. Have two people line up on either side of the line, one mimicking offense, one defense. Uh, No contact, just the offensive player running back and forth, making cuts, trying to lose the defender, and the defender uh, just shuffling back and forth, trying to mirror them. Uh, we did something like that in soccer where it was like you had two cones and you were like trying to touch the cone faster um, to really work on that like lateral quickness. I feel like across so many sports, like the same fundamental skills are so important, which is why you'll see like so many similar drills across like soccer, football, basketball, all of those. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned reaching down and touching the cone too. That would also help in 
sinking your hips on those change of directions and really exploding out of those cuts. I mean, I, I definitely had it like pointed out to me in a lot of other sports growing up, especially um, in basketball and, and thinking about defense and that. But I feel like I haven't heard it talked about as much in Quidditch and the importance of being able to stay low and kind of keep your center of gravity lower to be able to change directions faster and, and have that power in um, being able to like make contact with the, the offensive player and either take them down or drive them to the outside or whatever you need to do. But like being able to focus on on keeping low as a defender, um, I think you're right. Definitely, really helps you to to keep the like keep that person in front of you. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, that helps not only in positioning, but once you actually do make contact, being lower is much better for tackling. Um. So when you are setting up as a point defender, what are you kind of looking for as you set up the defense? Well, just any time during the game, really. You're always tracking the bludgers because even as a point defender, like you can make tackles all day, but if you're just getting beat out, you're kind of useless. <laughs> so first and foremost is knowing where all the bludgers are and who's holding them. After that, I guess you would look for just matchups, making sure everyone's marked up on a chaser and they're positioned right. Matching up, make sure the bludgers are in your favor. And how does how you set up the defense switch if you're playing a point, like a, a man defense or a zone? So usually on a man defense, and this will usually be when we're hurting for bludgers, so we want to tighten that defense up and sink to the hoops. Just generally give the offense less space to work with and less room to drive. That'll give you a chance to, when you are tighter, you'll have like your other chasers, off-ball chasers, in the close vicinity so they can, if you do get beat up top, they can step in and help, hedge over a little bit, and then bounce back to their defender or their chaser. Gotcha. So one thing I think that a lot of point defenders struggle with is they'll let the ball carrier get too close to the hoops before they engage. So how are you kind of calibrating that distance of like, okay, at this is this is the point where I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna stop letting them advance and I'm gonna engage and attempt to get them either to change direction or to make that tackle. As far as giving space, I feel like anytime I step up, like my goal is to meet them at half pitch, uh, especially with the reset rule, as early as possible. What's gonna dictate me sinking closer to my hoops is really just the opposing beater pressure. So if their opposing beater is a threat and really pushing me back, then y'all yeah, have to sink and give ground for that. And then it's going to come down to what my beater, how they're playing. So if they're sunk at the hoops and there's a lot of room between my beater and their beater, then I'm going to have to give ground just from their beating threat. Because like I said earlier, if, you, if you're just getting beat out of top and running sprints back and forth to the hoops, you're not going to be much of an effective point defender. So it's really just trying to find that balance between the two beaters. Like you don't want to give them an easy tap out up top, but you want to be enough of a distraction to where your beaters can make some plays. Yeah, and I feel like um, an added kind of element to that is 
uh, an MLQ with the ability to to more. I mean, it's like you can kind of get away with it in USQ to some degree that the like way you position your body when you get beat, but in MLQ you can truly swat. So you also have that added um, element of being able to swat the bludger back and kind of keep beaters at bay that way too when you're going up higher as a point defender. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I never really got used to the swatting rule change. It's definitely a weird yeah, one. <laughs> during, during the doing just like the hip turn and like you can catch it with your broom sometimes or a shoulder a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just making it difficult for that that opposing beater to get that easy tap out beat that they're looking for. So kind of switching gears, but are there any players who you especially enjoyed playing point defense against? Uh, I don't know if I can really name names. I just love situations where you know the, the opposing team has, has some player that, that's really hyped up and they're unguardable and notoriously good scores. Like, I, I want those matchups. <laughs> like, I, I know when, when I first started my freshman year, that Texas team, uh, our rival was Lone Star. And people always hyped up people like Cody Marshall and Stevie Bell. So I love getting those opportunities. Got it. Go against the best to be the best. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that adds, um, I mean, it's always there, but that, that just kind of brings up the aspect of the mental side of, of defense and just sports in general is like even if you're not really like talking to your opposition just like knowing that you can defend them and and believing you can stop them no matter who it is on the other side oh for sure the the mindset is is very important uh you got to be confident always a step ahead because if you're slow on a step that's what's going to let the defenders pass you anytime i step on the field i'm pretty confident that i can guard anyone that lines up against me yeah, it's definitely, I, I feel like, super important to helping you, like, become as good of a player as you can be. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely a huge part. Um, And then are there any, so I guess transitioning back, are there any mentors you've played with that have helped you kind of shape your game into what it is? My uh, That whole Texas team my freshman year, 2014, I mean, you had Augie Monroe, Marty Bermudez, Casey, Audrey, Kenny Chilton, Aaron Godesey, like all those players on that team were such a huge influence. Uh, as far as shaping my game, I think, I mean, I knew how to tackle football-wise, but tackling in Quidditch is a little different, especially the falling back tackle that Marty and Casey perfect so well. That's That's borderline a trip. but yeah trying to mimic them in in that tackling style was really helpful and obviously them giving me pointers on the game in general just slowed it way down for me and really helped me find my groove Uh, another mentor that that wasn't on that team though Simona Renz was also another great point defender that I looked looked up to coming in the game yeah Simona's great um, they're all great. They're all such amazing athletes uh, for coming out of that Texas team. Um, oh, yeah. 
I kind of want to go off of your point on like the mechanics of a football tackle versus a Quidditch tackle. How how are those kind of different, or how do you feel they're different? Well, it's I, I don't really know. just contrasting between, because like in football, you're you're fighting for every yard. Like you don't want to fall backwards on a tackle, then you're giving up yardage. So anytime you make contact in football, it's getting low, singing your hips, and then driving your feet forward, keeping your feet moving. Whereas on those Quidditch tackles, you're using their momentum against them and sort of just falling and pulling them into your leg that's planted. Uh, it's a lot less effort. <laughs> But uh, it, it's also easy to, easier to slip out of if you're if you're not doing it right. But yeah, it turns turns into like a, a wrap up between your opposite leg and your opposite arm. Whereas most football tackles is two hands wrapping up and pushing in, leaning in with your shoulder. Our next guest is Athena Mayer. She has been playing since 2015. She played three years for the Tufts University Tuffle Puffs, captaining them her third year. And then she played a year for Quidditch Club Boston in the team's last year of existence. And then most recently, she played another year for Tufts, uh, making it to the finals of the Northeast Regional Championship for the first time in Tufts history since like 2014. She has also been on the Boston MLQ team for two years and won an MLQ championship in 2019. Uh, she's an absolute angel of a human who I love very, very much. And she also has the best dog of all times, Waffles, who I miss and would love to give a hug. So welcome, Athena. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what a great introduction. High quality. I really try my best. Apparently <laughs> you, do, you, you do some great introductions, I will say. Yeah. I guess to dive right in, Athena, I think Emily and I both think that you are an accomplished quiz player, but also specifically very skilled at point defending. So what are some things that you found to be effective to help improve your own point defense as a player? I think one thing that is always helpful um, with Quidditch, with literally everything that you do, because it's such a complicated game, is just exposure. The more games you play, the more different people you defend against, the better you're going to get at every piece of the game, including point defense. But in terms of like specifically working on your point defending, I think really there's a, a lot of like one-on-one -on -one defense drills that you can use to kind of get better at different like techniques of boxing people out and knowing when to go for a wrap. And I think full team like fast break drills are great to um, help you set up a defense really quickly because that helps you to really take in the whole field in a split second and really understand like what's going on really quickly and communicate to your whole defense to get something set up. So when you're trying to like work on that aspect of your game, those are some kind of quick drills that I have found really helpful. And so when you are setting up as a point defender, um, how are you kind of looking 
need to set up the defense? Like, what are you looking for on the offensive side? What are you looking for from the rest of your team? Like, how are you, how are you kind of organizing that? I think in terms of, like, a real, like, set-up defense, like, I think sometimes in a fast break things get hectic and it's just, you know, first person on the ball and you find a mark and hope. But when you have the time to really set up a defense, you want to look as the point defender, you want to look and see the ball carrier. And as the game kind of goes on, especially, you want to try and understand what their dominant hand is and like what direction they prefer to pass in, what direction they like to drive in, which hoops they like to shoot on, um, different things like that you can find them out much easier with a little bit of like scouting in advance. And then that can help you when you're point defending, because you can know that you want to like push them towards the side that they're more uncomfortable on. And then in terms of like your own team and your defense, it's important to know your own keeper and like if they are much more comfortable defending the small hoop than the middle hoop, you want to make sure that, you have that covered a little bit more for them. And you want to know your beaters and talk to your beaters. If you want to like push your uh, the ball carrier like into the lane in the middle, um, that's well and good if you have confident beaters. Um, but otherwise, you're giving them like a free lane right through to your hoops. So it's important to know the level of like confidence on your beaters and to just communicate what your plan is. And then I think it's very important to know your second defender. I think that's kind of the terminology that we've used on Tufts a lot and on other teams is the person that like for one is going to take over if you get beat out. And then for another, they a lot of times will drift a little bit more into the center, a little bit off of their mark um, so that you can have a support person to push towards. And the communication with that person is incredibly important to tell them when you're beat out, to tell them which way you need to be pushing the ball, to tell them when to expect a drive and other things like that to make sure that you don't leave your team open for a run that you weren't expecting or that other people on your team weren't expecting. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like having that really being tight on that communication um, with your second defender seems incredibly helpful and just being prepared for like the unexpected and whether you're they just get by you or like you said, you get beat out. So that, yeah, that seems like a huge point. Um, and, and you mentioned like your communication with that specific chaser and just getting to know the team that you're playing with and your teammates. Are there specific ways you communicate like with your beaters too, whether you're communicating about like specifically trying to get beat out or um, like when you are or things like that? A lot of the times it'll be like when the other team is like coming up with the ball, when you have that, you know, couple seconds of like setting up that, you're gonna talk with your beaters about like what they want from you. Um, but in kind of like, it's a much more split second decision of like reading the other beaters for them and for you, because 
whether or not like you need them to throw at you is very situational. And so I think in that case, a lot of the times it'll be your beaters like right up on your shoulder almost, and they'll be telling you to like push or go left or go right. And you just have to be really receptive to that and just really trust your beater because in, you know, nine times out of 10, they're the people who have the best read on the field and they know where they need you to be and you have to, you have to trust it. One thing that is so, like what you were talking about where like communicating with your beaters, like when a, as a point defender, you'll take that beat to get the other team's beaters ball out of their hands is such an important thing that I feel like a lot of people don't always like think about is like the moment that that ball hits you is a moment where you, that beater is no longer going to be as big of a threat. So it's a really good time for everyone else to make some sort of adapt adaptation to that throw. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times it's kind of like a, a selfless decision that I think point defending takes a minute to get used to because I think for so much of Quidditch, you're kind of in this mindset of like, don't get beat no matter what. Um, and oh, there's actually a lot of point defending that is just getting beat at the right time. And that kind of, it takes a while to get a read on that and to get the communication with your beaters right and to, you know, position your body so that the beat bounces back towards your hoops and, and all that sort of stuff that, that makes, you know, your position more helpful for the rest of your team, not just you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's crazy how, I mean, I feel like it's hard to sometimes see that unless um, you spent a lot of time looking at a team, but there's sometimes I feel like on the offensive end when you, you like have a point defender on you and it almost becomes more challenging during the switch after they got beat out when you thought you would have more space because of how well that defender and, and the team is prepared to handle that situation. So yeah, yeah I definitely think you're right. Yeah, Athena, do you have any players that you've enjoyed particularly playing against as as a defender? I think players that I've enjoyed playing against is, uh, I don't know, it's like a difficult question. I think one game that like stood out to me, not necessarily because like I enjoyed the point defending of it, but because it was interesting, is probably this past year at the Atlantic Challenge, Tufts played NYU, and we had just played them, the last time we played them, I think, was the, you know, the Northeast Finals, mm -hmm. um, and we were doing well, but there was, like, a point in the game where it was Jake Zaslov and I, where he was, like, my second, and I was point, and it was, Nick was, Nick Jablonski, who is, like, acting as Tufts coach, was on the sideline, just making us basically run sprints back and forth from points to the hoops because he was just having that top beater just beat us out constantly just to keep them out of the play. And it was the worst experience, <laughs> um, but it was helpful. You know, it kept that beater busy and it like, they still had to stay back out of our like dangerous kind of area, but it was, it was absolute garbage for me as a player to just run like 15, 10 yard sprints for like a full, 
I don't know, three minutes every single defense. But it's just kind of one of, it was a very niche point defense situation that I hadn't really done before that I think was, it was just very interesting. It was effective and it kind of just illustrates the point of it's not always like what you think is best. Like if I were on the field, that's not something that you think you should be doing, just getting beat every time you step up to the ball. But that's what was best for that moment because it slowed them down and it kept their beater busy. And it just was very different. And it's, you know, there's a lot of small uh, nuances to point defending that kind of come out in, in different teams, which can be really interesting to play. I think that's a really interesting point because, like, again, no one likes running wind sprints. But sometimes, you know, running wind sprints is the difference between that beater being able to make a play on your beaters and having to go chase the ball down. So do you have any mentors who you've played with or people who you feel like have really shaped how you have developed as a defender? Yes, I think... I think honestly, coming into Tufts uh, and having you and Hannah on the team was big for me because the two of you are both like very strong female defenders who were not about to let anyone run you over, which is always a great thing when you're coming into a new sport and you don't really know what you want to do. And I think that was, it was really, really helpful to have you guys there for my first year. And I think moving forward from that, Grace is a superstar who is everything that I want to be when I grow up, even though she's, you know, like three years older than me. I don't know. She's incredible. Also, another like female player who's not going to get pushed around, who is a great defender. And it's really helpful to see her positioning and where she plays. And... On um, MLQ and QCB, well, QCB is Harry was very helpful in kind of helping me understand more of the like nuances of point defending. And I think what I would call playing up in terms of skill level for that year when I took a leave of absence um, was huge for my development. And having him and Grace and Jake and all of those people on QCB before it died and like Max and Lulu and I can't even list all the people who were incredible on that team who were there to help me understand the timing of like drawing beats and where to stand and how to support and all of those things were really incredible. One thing that I found very interesting is how point defending has evolved in just like the five years that I've played. Um, because when I like came on Tufts Quidditch, I, it wasn't all the time, but I do remember particularly when someone was a little bit less confident, there was like, there was a point defender who would switch to the ball and like, it wasn't like you were staying on your mark. And then when the ball was there, you're kind of like the point defender now it was I would like be on the mark on the wing and then the ball got passed and like I had to switch with Devin or something like that because like Devin was the point defender, which I think is really interesting because I think that is generally very inefficient. And I think in an ideal defense, 
you have all of your chasers are comfortable with the amount of like responsibility and positioning that comes along with being the chaser like on the ball so that it doesn't require any kind of like switching around and you can kind of just keep that communication up and you'll just be the one who's like pressing now and you'll tell them which way you're pressing and someone knows when they're going to be second suddenly and it becomes a lot more fluid and everyone is ready to have that responsibility and I think it's important to have that happen in coaching situations as particularly as college coaches get more experienced and more common um, to be able to impart the knowledge of how to be comfortable being the defender on the ball I think will make defenses even smoother and even more efficient as the sport evolves, which I think will be really interesting to continue to watch. Thanks again to all our guests. We really appreciate getting to speak to you all. One of the things that stood out to us after talking to all of our guests was the importance of having an understanding of the ball carrier's tendencies. Knowing that a ball carrier likes to drive right or is looking to pass, or maybe even if they're left-handed, are all things that change how you should be playing defense against them. This knowledge can come from scouting teams or film, watching games and tournaments, or even during the game. We think that a great point was made was that even if you lose the first few interactions in-game with a new ball carrier, you can learn from that and make adjustments so that later in the game you're really able to win in a few more interactions and really swing the tide of the game. In addition to knowing your opponents, we also noticed our guests talk about the importance of everyone on the field being prepared to defend. While there are certainly plenty of excellent point defenders, like each of our guests, if your team is able to train every chaser on your team to be able to defend either on ball or off ball, uh, your team can learn to trust each other and more effectively work together to stop the offense from scoring. We would like to thank Nick Jablonski, our producer, and Christina Gux, who created the music featured in this podcast. Please remember, as always, to submit any questions you want us to discuss in the form linked in the podcast description. And remember to check out the other 8th Man podcasts, The Pod, hosted by Kellen Cubid and Ethan Warren, and Big Man Bias with Ash and Jean Lewis. Thank you again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, week, or year, depending on when you're listening to this. And we hope to have you listen to us again in the future.